Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to episode 93 of Energy Talks, and today we're going to be discussing electrical utilities. And I know this sounds like a nerdy, boring kind of thing, but it's really a keen interest of mine because it flows from the argument that clean, abundant, low-cost electricity is going to be the foundation of 21st century economies. So if that is true, and it certainly seems we're headed in that direction, then the power grid and how we generate electricity, how we transmit it over long distances, how we distribute it in our our neighborhoods becomes a really, really big deal. And we've started the process of modernizing power grids. And of course, everybody knows about the rapid growth of wind and solar and to some extent uh, storage in those in those power grids. But we don't talk often about the utilities. And the utilities are really key because they've been around for a long, long time. They're very, they, they come out of a regulated environment. Uh, they're very often monopolies or oligopolies. And they're very conservative. They don't like change. Their whole raison d'etre has been to keep the power grid, to keep the grid up and deliver electricity when you need it at a the lowest cost possible. So this idea of technology revamping, re-engineering, restructuring the industry uh, is not one, well, it's one that the utilities have a, uh, have a hard time with, frankly, and some more than others. And as a result, they tend to be a bit of a speed bump on the road to the energy transition. They very often are uh, working against the uh, installation of things like rooftop solar. So I'm going to talk to uh, Mel Bergsnyder, who's with Alum Energy. It's a company that's based out of Australia, but uh, she is joining us from Los Angeles. And we're going to talk about why utilities do this, how they do it, and what can be done to stimulate more of this behind the meter kind of solar, I suppose wind would qualify too, but I will focus on solar, to get more of that kind of electricity into the system. And as important as it is today for, we think of it as primarily as decarbonization, the learning curve, the cost curve of solar is still dropping. And there are plenty of folks that I've talked to who think that the marginal cost of uh, generating a megawatt hour of electricity, uh, you know, in the 2030s is going to be pretty close to zero. So this this is really important stuff. So welcome to the interview, Mel. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, look, I I, I rambled a little more than I intended to in my, my introduction, but you can see why I think <laughs> utilities 
are at the at the at the core of the energy transition. They, yeah, I can they, definitely see that. Yeah, the, I mean the the whole argument about electricity and what really excites me about this. Now you're based in Los Angeles, and there are all kinds of interesting things happening in California. God knows we don't need to you know go over the many of <laughs> our listeners will will be well aware. But there's lots of innovation, and I think that that what while California may be leading the United States, innovation and disruption are happening all over the place. I mean, it Correct. is crazy the amount of innovation and change that's going on in the American electricity system. And here I am sitting in Canada where each province is like its own little silo, you know, because under the Canadian Constitution, the um, uh, the provinces are exclusively responsible for electricity. And so they've built up these, you know, provincial electricity systems, and they're very often, uh, in most cases, uh, they're controlled by a government-owned utility. And so right. if you think American <laughs> utilities are conservative, oh, no, you haven't seen, <laughs> you, you ain't seen nothing until you've seen a, a, an American or Canadian utility. And so um, we, we look over the border at what the Americans are doing with tremendous interest because of all of the, the changes, the, the disruptions and the innovations uh, and the uh, how the Americans are responding. So <clears throat> I want to talk to you about why utilities are hesitant and are maybe uh, impeding the adoption of the two-way flow of electricity, like if you're generating, uh, power, you know, if solar uh, array on your roof, or maybe you're a big commercial provider and you want and you want to self-generate, those kinds. Of, yep. Why, why are utilities so hesitant? Well, first of all, it's a changing grid, and we're looking at a grid that's been around for a system that's been around for 120 years or more. That's a Tesla, um, you know, Edison paradigm of the grid. So first, we're looking at really changing the baseline uh, of how the system operates. So the utilities and grid operators are used to, for simplicity, just a one-way distribution. You know, you produce the power, you transmit it, you distribute it amongst uh, kind of the local areas, and then you'll have your consumers, your end customers. But now because of the change in technologies and all these exciting things around solar, battery storage, electric vehicle charging. There's a lot of that change from the consumer side. So now we're having people sell back electricity into the grid, which in a way kind of breaks that paradigm of a one directional grid. And it puts a little bit more emphasis into, all right, you can produce power and also consume it on site and you can export and get credits for that same power. So I think it's it's less of a resistance as it is a more of, you know, being able to adapt to that changing grid because we see it happening regardless because of the consumer trends. Um, but yeah, it's it's a matter for the utilities to take that collaborative approach instead. Now, I interview economists from the uh, Haas Energy Institute at the University of Berkeley in California, and one of them, uh, Severin Bornstein, sits on the uh, on Casio, the independent system operator for the for California. And there's been a there's been a crazy pushback against from, and I mean, he's led it. I mean, uh, you know, I've read his blog pieces, and pushback. Uh, but there's too much 
rooftop solar in California, you know, and they're getting and they're getting too much money from the utilities when they do uh, export or they do put, uh, you know, their their electricity into the grid. Why is rooftop solar such a big uh, or perceived as a big problem uh, Mm -hmm. within the California market? Yeah, so I've asked my same so the same question over and over. And one key aspect is the ability to forecast for the grid. So grid operators have to have a a foothold essentially on what the consumption is going to be, and they plan ahead. They plan, you know, a year ahead, six months ahead. There's the day ahead forecast. There's hours ahead forecast. Because at the end of the day, they want the grid to balance. And that's, you know, physically important and key to safety. So when it comes to renewables, um, there's a level of variability. And, you know, I live, live and breathe solar and I absolutely love it. And I think the answer is really pairing it with storage. That way, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> frog in my mouth. Um, that way you can actually reliably um, have the operation of the grid instead of, you know, having a question mark on what the forecast is going to look like. Okay. So I, I think what you're pointing to is the complexity of this, of, of that's introduced by rooftop solar by thousands, but tens of thousands of these little tiny, you know, generating units. Uh, uh, Correct. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that um, one of the innovations that's being used actually, but it's proposed that it be expanded more is the idea of virtual power plants and power aggregators. And mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about that? So actually I'll talk a little bit more about the behind the meter because that's my bread and butter. Uh, when it comes to power plants, I haven't interacted as much, but when it comes to the behind the meter, so just to Quick introduction, you know, I'm with a loom and we do behind the meter for multifamily housing. Um, so we're looking more at the localized production and consumption of power. So let's say you have rooftop on your building and instead of just exporting everything into the grid and getting a credit back from the utility, how about you actually consume it outside and then export little uh, to that? So we're seeing a growth in what we look at microgrids, for example. People are seeing the importance not only from a, you know, optimizing point of view, but also from a safety and reliability point of view. Because in I'm from California or I'm based here in California and we see a lot of the damage and the kind of inequities of um, power outage and who is actually being most affected by it in moments of, you know, natural disasters, etc. So I think I'm actually very, you know, passionate about going into the microgrid perspective and going a little bit more local um, on the use of renewables as well as storage. Okay, the work that you do on multifamily units uh, really fascinates me. So uh, are you, so let's let's take, a, you've got a, an apartment complex, maybe it's a, a low-income apartment complex or maybe it's just a condo complex something like that so you set up uh rooftop solar on the the buildings you're generating a fair amount of power and what you would argue essentially is that this is a little microgrid its first customer are, are the the occupants of the building and if it has extra power you'll sell it back to the grid 
if you need extra power, uh, sun isn't shining, wind isn't blowing, uh, then you're going to import, uh, you're going to use power from the grid. Is that essentially how it works? Essentially, that's how it works. Um, one extra point to this is the ability to allocate. So not only do you have your, you know, your production on site and also your tenants being able to get that power. But let's say what happens if you have a studio apartment versus a three bedroom apartment? You know, their load providers are going to look so different. So with our technology, you can actually optimize and be like, all right, how about we make sure that the studio will get 10% of that solar location and the three bedroom will get 25% of that solar location. So you can actually adjust uh, to what the energy profiles needs are as well as the common area. So yeah, it's it's really taking wow, that microgrid. Yeah, taking that microgrid perspective even to a smaller level, uh, to the apartment level. And I and, think, and this is all enabled. Yeah. This is all enabled by mm-hmm. the, the software and the technology that you that you install Correct. to to be able to allocate at a micro level. I mean, down to the mm-hmm. to the unit. Down that's, to the unit. Wow, yeah. that's really something. Yeah, and then I think when it comes to that changing grid. Um, and we're seeing cities with a growing demand, you know, there's a lot of cities right now that have 100% renewable energy goals. You know, I'm here in Los Angeles, we have LA 100, and we have that goal by 2035. But there's that push on, you know, on a bigger level for decarbonization and going more into renewables and making sure that the grid, you know, is going to be able to adapt to that. So I think going into the smaller level is one way to do it um, because it actually you can actually connect to the tenants and make sure it's an equitable transition as opposed to just simply putting bigger solar farms somewhere else and maybe, you know, passing on the cost to to the tenants. But, yeah, it's a it's a very exciting time when it comes to new technologies that are entering. Now let's talk. Uh, I promised at the beginning of this interview that we were going to talk about how utilities respond to this. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. So I I can see where if you had one multifamily setup like you've just described, utilities not going to be too concerned about that. But now if you get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds uh, all throughout LA, particularly if they're bunched into neighborhoods, now you're essentially taking business away from the utilities. And, and the, you know, they're not happy about that. And I'll, I'll say, I think I said this on the last episode, but I'll, I'll repeat it here because I think it's germane. And uh, in Alberta, the Alberta electrical system operator uh, put out a report last year. And one of the biggest concerns uh, by the stakeholders and by, by ASO was the fact that big operations, big commercial operations can self-generate and, and essentially take themselves off the grid or if they stay connected to the grid, they they uh, they won't use it much. And so what that does then is that creates that that, that takes them away. It, it removes their revenue from the system, and then other users of the grid have to pay more. And so you can see from the the system operator's point of view, the utilities' point of view. That if there are all these microgrids running around that that are taking load off the system and and depri- you know depriving the utility uh, of revenue, now it's not a problem. Ten years from now, it could be a huge problem for the utilities. Is that the way they're thinking? So actually, I have an insight on this, and 
this is something that people don't see as much because it's not as consumer facing. So when it comes to peak uh, times, let's say a moment in in the summer, everybody's running their AC and the utilities actually having trouble uh, meeting that load. There is a need to fire up, let's say, in the case of the United States, there's a lot of gas power plants that need to be fired up in order to meet that peak. Now, that increase is a dramatic increase when it comes to charging for the utility. And as well, I have I have heard from some utilities that they get penalized if there's a, a grid outage more than what they're, let's say they get certain passes per year. And if there's more than that, they would get a pen, penalty. So if you're looking at this side of the, like side of the conversation, what is not only the customer charges, but you're looking at resilience and you're looking at peak demand moments where you can actually use renewables to meet that. I think it's less of a conversation around, you know, taking business away. And I think it's more of a conversation of, all right, how can we actually meet renew, have renewables meet these constraints and huge kind of costs? Uh, to the utilities that customers day to day, we won't see that, um, as far as as directly into a bill, but it does get passed over into the rates at some point. So yeah, I think it's the key here is coordination. Yeah. Making now, sure that there's <clears throat> combination. I, I, I'm intrigued by the idea of the microgrid and the, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure, um, you know, if you have the, this multifamily uh, unit that we've been talking about, who actually makes the decisions if there's a, <clears throat> if there's a board or something like that. But mm-hmm. my question here is, there's been a lot of talk about demand response as a yes. means of coping with uh, periods of, of high load. So basically, mm-hmm. you know, when uh, when when the the grid is stressed, like during the really hot summer and everybody's running their AC, the the mm-hmm. utility wants everybody, you know, like to turn down their thermos or turn turn up their thermostats so the AC mm-hmm. doesn't work as hard and doesn't draw as much right. power. And mm-hmm. and there's been a talk about, you know, well, we'll give the we'll put in these programs demand response programs that will allow the utility to adjust the temperature on your fridge or turn down your your ac or yep. that kind of thing mm-hmm. and, and consumers go i don't think so no, <laughs> not everybody yeah. of course some people mm-hmm. will but you know a lot of a lot of consumers are going no 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 that's mm-hmm. not not no not for the utility but i could right. see i could see where the kind of setup you have it's a microgrid People are invested in it. They probably are more aware of it. They might even know that they might even know the person who's doing the turning down, but they mm-hmm. might be more responsive to demand response programs because they're more familiar with it. It's more local than Correct. if you're trying to get the utility to do it. Has that come up? Is that a conversation that's going on? Yeah. I mean, I've seen that conversation time and time again, where there's certain programs and you're right. Uh, for example, thermostats is a huge one. When it comes to a utility being like, all right, I'll give you a, you know, a credit. I'll send you a check for the ability to control during peak moments. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult, um, conversation because it goes a bit more into comfort and it goes a bit more into kind of that ability to decide 
on the personal level. But I do think regardless, there is a an amazing opportunity when it comes to demand response on bringing it to the local level. Let's say in this case, if we have battery storage and we say, all right, there are these moments of grid stress, let's discharge into the grid and let's actually help out the grid. And maybe there's going to be a higher return because of that instead of having you know, the great operators having to fire up that gas peak plan, for example. Um, so I think that there's there's those opportunities that don't rely as much as the comfort kind of risk to the end customer, but goes a little bit more into the planning stage and discharging into the grid. Right. So if I understand you correctly, uh, mm-hmm. there's the demand response could be turning, yeah. you know, the the local uh, uh, whoever administers the, the microgrid turns down everybody's AC. That's one type of demand response. The other de- demand response is if you've got storage integrated into your multifamily unit solar system, um, then then you can discharge from the batteries to help out the grid. Correct. There's different ways to do it. And actually... I mean, we're seeing a lot of technologies like smart panels, there's home hubs, there's a lot of coordination systems. And I mentioned that word before, coordination. I think that's the key part about the changing grid where, you know, you can think about one way to address demand this once, but if it's not, you know, if the data is not there, if the grid balance is not there, then it's going to be a problem. So I think at all these levels, it might be an all of the above response as opposed to just, all right, let's rely only on batteries to discharge. How about let's rely a bit on the on the systems adapting um, smart panels, et cetera. I'm very curious about who administers the microgrid, like who who makes mm-hmm. the decisions. Uh, maybe they're automated. Who knows? Uh, but mm-hmm. who administers the microgrid? Yeah, so I can talk about our micro microgrid uh, when it comes to the soul share. So the decisions are automated. Um, so essentially, when in your multifamily building, you would have a preset. Let's say you want everybody to get the same allocation. And so the social itself will need, you know, read demand and also distribute accordingly. And so one way that I like to explain it is think about the social as a hose and then each one of the meters as a bucket. And so essentially it will rotate the supply of power until that bucket level is met. And let's say you want to change that bucket level. One will get more, let's say your common area versus the others. So because of that is an automated system. Now, when it comes to automated system that is flexible. Now, when it comes to bigger microgrids, it is. Yeah, it's something outside of my um, kind of expertise, but I know there's a lot of communications when it comes to, uh, you know, the overall city, for example. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Sure. Fair enough. Okay, so your Mm -hmm. your expertise is in is in smaller microgrids, not the larger microgrids. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, here's again, let's get back up to the utilities at that, you know, thirty five thousand foot view. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk in the literature about utilities evolving into distributed energy resources platforms. So the idea is that utilities evolve from, you know, when Thomas Edison invented them, uh, they've been vertically integrated, right? 
you know, they generate the power, they own the transmission lines, they own the distribution system, and they have their territory, whether it in Canada, it's a province, whether it's in, you know, California, there's two or three of these big investor owned utilities, and they own, you know, they control Northern California, Southern California, whatever. But but that's that's kind of the, the way it works. And the idea is to flatten the structure so that we get back to this idea of two-way trade in electricity. And and so every every consumer that's got um, a solar array on their on their building becomes a prosumer. They're both a producer and a consumer. And on top of that, then there's the opportunity, and maybe it's companies like yours, maybe it's others who sell services on that on that platform and and the, the role then of the utility becomes a little different in that it mediates all of these transactions you know it has the ability to say okay yes you know we're going to you know microgrid over here gave us x amount of kilowatt hours so we're going to send a payment over there and this entity you know provided x services so we'll send a payment over there and all and, and it's the mediator it manages the market essentially and is mm-hmm. that where we're going? And if it is, uh, where, where are the discussions at and how do the utilities feel about it? Yeah, I mean, that's where we're going. I think <clears throat> when it comes to that changing grid and a different kind of prosumer, exactly what you were mentioning, people actually selling back into the grid, there is that need for overall coordination and overall kind of making sure that the grid is going to be balanced and safety um, and people's lights are going to be on. So I think that I could see it as the end picture of what this changing grid is going to look like, where utilities actually have changed from that, you know, grid uh, purchasing of whole power and then selling it to the customers, but rather more as a transactional kind of type of market. So <clears throat> I think currently utilities are... Um, you know, dipping their feet, kind of testing the waters into that. And with different programs that they have, let's say with net energy metering, with different programs around, um, you know, looking into microgrids, utility scale, battery storage, for example. So I think that they're they're starting to plug in the pieces of the puzzle. Um, but yeah, it's a it's it's very forward thinking. And I yeah, I definitely really appreciate the utilities that are are looking into this as opposed to kind of holding the door for the new technologies that are coming. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a small steps moment. Um, but the end picture, I could see it as that. Yeah, and then this gets, this is why when I was talking at the top of the interview about why mm-hmm. I was so fascinated by what was going on in the US in terms of utility business models, this is really what I was getting at. I mean, this yes. is not a this is not a tweaking of the utility business model. This is a complete reengineering of the utility model. And Correct. you're ask and you're asking conservative organizations that 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 are not accustomed to radical change. You're asking them to make radical change, and that's that's very diff- difficult. And it and it can't be just driven by management or shareholders. It's got to include the regulator. It's got to include policymakers. It's got to include customers. I mean, that's a that's a really a, a difficult conversation to have, and 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 then there's the whole uh, impetus to to speed. Because not only not only do you have rapid technology change that's, dr- that's driving a lot of this, but of course we have climate 
uh, climate concerns and climate aggressive, increasingly aggressive climate policy. And it seems like the more the technology improves to enable this, the bolder policymakers get. You know, I mean, if 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 you yeah. if you do something ahead of time, you know, the policymaker looks at that and goes, "Hey, cool! I guess you could do it just a little bit faster, couldn't you?" You know, and then mm -hmm. they get to stand up in front of that and go, hey, we're going to be net free. You know, uh, we'll have a net zero electricity grid by 2035 instead of 2040. Look at what great guys we are in, in the legislature, mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So where are we at? Where is California at? Since, you know, this is mm -hmm. your area of expertise. Where is California right. at in just having the conversation? I think California is one of those pioneers to that conversation in the changing grid. So, for example, let's look at electric vehicles. Um, California is phasing out gas-powered vehicles by 2035. Um, and as I mentioned before, LA 2035, LA 100. Um, and so there's a lot of those high-level goals when it comes to California. And a lot of introduction of different programs and different kind of assistance to uh, demand response. So I think, I mean, to your point around the policy making, I like to think about the grid as a system. And so it is difficult to just change one little part of it, let's say only the technology aspect, where on the other side, you have the policy, the finance, the structure as a whole. Um, and consumers. So, yeah, and consumers as well. And now, as mentioned, there's a changing role to that. So I think it's, um, you know, now for great operators, it's it's a matter of realizing how much these technologies are coming and how to actually be one step ahead instead of kind of scrambling to, let's say here in the news, oh, now we're going to go 100% renewable or 100%, you know, EV charging uh you know, purchases and actually having the grid meet um, those goals. And then as we were talking about the transactional piece of it, instead of just being like, no, 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 I'm the one selling power. I'm not going to purchase. How about we create a, you know, a platform for that? Here's a, and maybe you maybe have some insights into this issue. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of talk about vehicle to grid integration. So, yes. you know, hey, the Ford, oh, I, uh, Ford CEO, Jim uh, Farley was on a, uh, a podcast and I heard him talk about why people are, are, are so interested in the Ford F-150 Lightning. And he said, uh, you know, I mean, we're offering it at a low cost, you know, at the base model and so on. And people, you know, are, are EV crazy. But he said the number one thing beyond that is the ability to charge their house for three days or 10 days, uh, you know, with the vehicle. Uh, yeah, because power outages are now such a big deal in certain parts of the U.S. that that's, that's become a, a real, it's a value proposition. It's not a price issue. It's not, a, it, it's partly risk, but it's, it's a, a high value to them. So, Correct. but while that's true, it's also, there's been a lot of discussion about doing this on a, a bigger stage you know, it's the state level. And then you say, well, okay, we're going to, we'll pay consumers so that in the middle of the night we can, you know, we'll charge or at this point we'll, we'll discharge some, some or all of their battery and then we'll charge it back up for them and, and so on. And we'll pay them a little bit of money to, to allow us to do that. Consumers don't like that, that all that much. 
because every you know mm. you're cycling the battery and you're putting wear and tear on the battery maybe you're reducing it, its life and and but i thinking as a consumer if i lived mm. in one of the uh, multifamily units that that you your company services and it was a microgrid that that my electric vehicle was supporting i might mm. be a whole lot more open to that than just to allow the utility to do mm. that and maybe yeah. Maybe thinking of it in terms of microgrids is the thing that unlocks the real value for the grid, the bigger grid, in terms of vehicle uh, to uh, grid integration. Uh, just your mm -hmm. thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing point uh, when it comes to that consumer's choice. I think what, in again, being from California, you think about power outages and you look at it as a seasonal thing. So we have here fire season and we just expect them um, when it comes to, you know, um, the changing, the worsening climate and, and all of the um, impacts that we're seeing here in California. So from that point of view, if let's say you want to future proof in a way your own safety. So if that comes in the form of purchasing battery systems, having solar battery having an EV charging uh, vehicle that can actually discharge into your home, I could definitely see that. When it comes to discharging into a grid, I think that's when we go back to the transactional aspect because it's not, hey, let's discharge into a grid. The utility is going to pay me this much. But how about, oh, if you discharge from these hours that you're not using your car and you're going to get paid, let's say, 5x what you would expect, then maybe you'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not going to be using it. Sure, let's let's make that decision. But I think that's the key point here. Be, being the, the customer, being able to decide, okay, right now I'm going to discharge and this is how much I'm going to get as opposed to kind of freehand and being like, all right, utility operator, up to you, discharge, charge as much as you want. Um, so that's that's the thing that I believe is the is the key piece, the ability to control. Right. So there's a demand management system that tells the utility mm -hmm. when it can take electricity from the from your EV and when it can't, or maybe yes, it, it can take X amount uh, percentage of it, uh, but but not a hundred percent or eighty percent or whatever. So Correct. that's, that's I think kind that's of where yeah I think that's where the system is headed, um, especially with those introductions of new technologies of being able to tell real time, and that's the key, real time telling of, if I were to discharge right now, how much am I gonna get? And let's say, what are the grid um, you know, stages at this point? Is it under stress? Then I'm gonna get 10X or whatever is the, is the price to it. Right. So I think it's a, it's a bringing that transactional market almost in a way like bringing that wholesale market into the customer's hands. Um, because before it was just so so far away into the the system itself. Right, right, right. Now uh, I want to wrap up our conversation, Mel, with mm -hmm. a discussion of markets, and and yes. this is gonna this is gonna be a, a foreign concept to my Canadian listeners because it, when we talk about markets in Canada, we talk about like a huge innovation here. A huge innovation would be getting time of day markets, like you know. I'm going to get uh, in in, Alberta, in BC right now. I pay nine point cents a, a kilowatt hour, uh, and if I have an electric vehicle, 
then I would pay maybe five cents a kilowatt hour from midnight to 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. So they want to encourage me to use power during, you know, charge when the the, the load on the system is, is yeah. low. That would be a huge innovation. And and <laughs> you look south of the border, oh my God, you've got hour ahead, day ahead, you've got all kinds of different markets to price uh -huh. electricity. And I talk to economists who say that needs to be even more sophisticated. Oh, wow. Okay. And and so, so from your mm -hmm. point of view, now you're down on the ground. You're you're actually talking to the people who are living in these, these multifamily units and setting this stuff up. What do you think of the role of markets and what's needed uh, in market design to make microgrids and the kind of, you know, business model that you are, are talking about to make it work? Mm -hmm. So quick question there, just for making sure we clarify. So you're talking from the utility point of view, or you're thinking from the customer, all right, I'm going to use power at this time because it's going to be cheaper, which. Well, let's, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about that from the customer's point of view. I, okay. I, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So from the customer point of view, and I can talk about my own experience with living in different territories where time of use uh, is under effect, where, you know, during the day, uh, perhaps it's going to be more expensive, but at certain hours in the middle of the night, it's going to be cheaper. Um, so I do think certain people that are aware of that in the market itself will run certain appliances, like, you know, run the dishwasher overnight, uh, whatever, run the dryer overnight, because they know it's going to be way cheaper than it is during, let's say, peak hours. Um, so I do think that there's that change. And here's another uh, interesting thing. We've also here in California, we've received a kind of a mass market text message being like, hey, from this time to this time, right. I heard about please that. reduce. Yeah, please reduce the um, the load or how much you're using in your home in order to kind of conserve or preserve the grid and and avoid blackouts or brownouts. So I think it is it is becoming more and more of kind of of the norm or or I wanna say there's more awareness and I wanna <laughs> I'm in a bubble because everybody I work with is an energy. Um so people are aware of this, but when it comes to the mass market, that text message and more of that communication uh is becoming more and more normal. Yeah, that was a that was a big deal in in my mm -hmm. social media networks. You know, it's full of energy right. nerds, and and so and a lot of them <laughs> yeah. live in California, and and they got this text message, and they thought this was the greatest thing ever. And it, and uh -huh. and just to be clear for our listeners, this wasn't just a, oh, would you mind, you know, Mel, would you mind turning down your uh, AC a little bit? It was like uh -huh. blinking red Please. lights, you know. Yeah, please, if like you don't turn your, yeah, if you don't turn uh -huh. your 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 AC down and stuff, if you don't reduce your electricity, we're gonna have a blackout. You know, and so everybody, mm -hmm. it was a huge response and was very, very successful because people were panicked. Yeah. They didn't want another blackout. So if you yeah. want to scare people into doing things in a hurry, that text, <laughs> that text is a very blunt instrument, but very yeah. effective. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an interesting point around the like carrot and the stick. You can be like, hey, everybody, alarm, you know, let's reduce uh, the load. Yeah. Or you can also do like, hey, if you were to sell your solar and battery storage kind of power to the grid, you're going to get this much amount. So I think there's different strategies. Uh, but again, it must sound like a broken record, the coordination part. So making sure that everybody um, plays into that. I can see where, um, like, 
I, I like that to be able to have uh, control over things with with phone apps. Mm-hmm. Love mm-hmm. that. And so mm-hmm. I could see if I had a smart house, and uh, we live in a you know it's almost a thirty year year old house, and we plan at some point to to you know redo it so that it's a more of a smart house. And but I could see where I get one of those texts. And it might not even be a panic text. It might be like a warning mm. text. You know, maybe instead of yeah. a red, it's an orange or a yellow or something. And they say, yeah. hey, you know, we need, and it, and they're, we're going to give you some incentives to reduce your electricity consumption. And I, and I see, I either have automated uh, uh, responses programmed into my, into my system. So I don't even have to use an app or I can do it manually and go, oh, you know, okay, that's fine. So blah, 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 I press a couple buttons on my app. And, you know, my, my AC, uh, temperature goes up to 75 or, or 78 or something. And, and, you know, my, and I don't charge my, my EV or whatever, whatever it is, but the, Mm -hmm. the amount of technology that's coming around to, to monitor those things, to provide control, to enable two way is, is just amazing. And, and, and is Mm -hmm. that, is that stuff coming? Is that what you see in your business? I've definitely, I see that coming. And I think with the integration of different technologies, one aspect is you want to make sure, let's say you meet uh, that ask without kind of giving up that comfort. So for example, let's say you will get that text message and you're coordinating technologies. All right. Okay. AC is going to be a little bit up, but how about we have our window shades down? Uh, So you won't even kind of notice that there's that much of a difference. I think that's, that's where the key part comes, where you can still have a a balance grid. You can still meet that demand, and you can also do it in a way that's not gonna come at the expense of uh, people's well-being, comfort, and also thinking about equity. You know, that's not gonna come at the expense of power outage uh, in sections of the populations that you know might be the most vulnerable. So I think it is sure. a all of the above, but yeah, at the end of the day, kind of looking at the at the well-being levels it's the most important one final question before we mm-hmm. wrap up yeah. are you are you excited that the kinds of changes that we've talked about in this interview are going to come fairly quickly and or are are these you know are things that we're looking at you know 10 years down the road 20 years down the road I would be so excited for these changes to come quickly. Um, but I know for, <clears throat> for different utilities, quickly might mean <laughs> five to 10 years on the road. So it's a, yeah, it's a variable thing. The thing I'm excited about is about the openness to, you know, to welcome these changes and to actually use them to meet renewable energy goals to, you know, make sure there's an equitable transition. <clears throat> that's the part that I'm most excited about. Kind of that, you know, awareness that this is a 120 year old grid and things are changing. How do we make sure that we're ready um, and we, we're one step ahead for that change? So you're saying that the consumers that you deal with on a regular basis mm-hmm. are aware? Um, not as aware, but I think it is it's starting to happen. Um, well, I suppose if I you've had if you've had these horrible right. blackouts, you know that really grabs your attention. And if you're a consumer, you mm-hmm. may not be paying attention, but when the AC right. goes off and the when yep. it's uh, forty, you'll, you know, you'll it, know. 
Yeah. So that, yeah. that I, 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 well, I get catastrophic events that do tend to sharpen the mind, right? Sharpen mm-hmm. your attention. Well, look, Mel, this has yeah. been fascinating. I, I've mm-hmm. been wanting to have a, a conversation at the micro about what's going on at the micro level for a long time. And I think what we've done here is we've talked a lot about the micro level, but then about how utilities are, are coping or not coping the direction that they're Correct. going. And I think mm-hmm. that's really exciting. And uh, yeah, and I'm very interested in what's going on in the U.S. because um, we don't have blackouts. We don't have really high electricity prices in Canada. Canadian oh, system wow. actually works really well. I mean, it gives you pretty clean. <laughs> you know, it's, we've got 82 percent. We've got 82 percent clean electricity in this country at very low prices. Like, I mean, you guys pay what, 27, 28 cents a kilowatt hour? In some investor-owned utilities, uh, municipal is much lower, 12, 13 cents okay. per kilowatt hour. Mm-hmm. But nobody's paying 9.6 per, six cents and yeah, I'm, no, I'm that's paying. A... <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, that's, that's crazy. a bargain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm getting hydropower, so I'm getting I'm getting clean energy. But But the Canadian utilities cannot be immune from technological change. And they mm-hmm. can't or consumer behavior change. And so what is happening here may be, we always say Canada's five years behind the U.S. And, and But in this case, the changes are so big, it might be 10 years or 15 years, but what's happening in the U.S. will eventually get here. And I, so I find that, I, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch you folks coping in real time, you know, because you try to stave <laughs> off. Yeah. yeah. And that, but, but then for us, knowing this is going to be our, uh, our reality in in the not so distant future so it's uh, it's a yeah. fascinating conversation thank you very much for this yeah thank you so much i think yeah this has been amazing and yeah always excited to talk about this i can talk for hours about the changing grid really exciting stuff coming up well we'll have you back <laughs>